This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Uh, those of you who know me already and those of you who are, who are getting to know me now, I hope will know now that um, one, the, really the topic that interests me the most um, personally, but the one around which I built all my, my teaching and my scholarship and in some ways like my whole life um, is the relationship between uh, classical thought, especially classical philosophy in the writings of Plato and Aristotle, and Christian thought, uh, 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 the kind of whole, I mean, uh, Thomas is my particular love uh, in, in that field, but really the whole spectrum of uh, Christian thought, biblical Christianity, and the study of the Bible. Um, what that's meant for me, above all, is studying uh, Aristotle and Aristotle's reception in the Christian world, um, particularly in the writings of Thomas. In this talk on friendship, um, I'm going to focus largely on that issue or that problem, and while I'm going to try to bring to light certain similarities between Thomas and Aristotle, um, I'm also going to talk a little bit about the dimensions um, that Thomas adds to the classical account, uh, I would say pretty self-awarely. Um, now, there's a name you may not all be familiar with that I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to mention at a gathering uh, like this, uh, if only so that someday you all might go look up some of his writings. Um, that name is Ernest Fortin, Father Ernest Fortin, uh, who was an Augustinian assumptionist who taught at Boston College for decades uh, in the theology department and the political science department, um, uh, who taught, unfortunately, before I arrived there as a graduate student, uh, but whose thinking and writing left an important imprint on the program and had an important impact on me. Um, he was a Catholic priest uh, who was deeply trained in the Christian tradition, um, but he was at the same time a great student of a 20th century scholar who's also been a big influence on me, um, named Leo Strauss. Uh, I know that sometimes has, you're, you're smiling, so you must, you must recognize him at least a little bit. Uh, Strauss is a name that you might know. It shows up in the media from time to time. Um, he was certainly one of the great students of political philosophy in the 20th century, I would say the very greatest. Um, it's hard to convey the substance of his work briefly, uh, but to say just one thing, um, he really tried to resuscitate the viability of classical philosophy, especially classical political philosophy, but not only um, as an alternative to relativism, as an alternative to classical liberalism, um, and finally, I think I have to say, and this, 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 this jibes somewhat less comfortably than the rest, as an alternative to the biblical tradition, especially in the Jewish form for him, but, but, but the whole biblical tradition. Um, Father Fortin's scholarship uh, is primarily about Christian thinkers, um, and as one would expect from a student of Strauss, uh, he, he pays special attention to the resonances, uh, but also the differences and the tensions between Christian faith and classical philosophy. Uh, he treats lots of figures in the Christian tradition. He's got remarkable essays on people like Clement of Alexandria or Basil the Great. Uh, you can find all those, many of those, I think all of those, in his four-volume essay collection. And for those of you who are coming home to UT, I'm happy to lend you volumes. I have them all, and they're, they're a little tricky to find sometimes. 
there were three thinkers, however, that occupied him the most. Uh, St. Augustine, Dante, he wrote a book on Dante, separate from the essay collection, and St. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, now, given what I've said is Fortin's theme, uh, Thomas might seem an unusual choice for one of his subjects. After all, one of his subjects. Um, after all, isn't the whole bearing of Thomas's teaching to show the harmony uh, between the teaching of the Bible and the Christian tradition with Greek philosophy, with the thought of Aristotle? Fortin's essays on Thomas, I would say, underline more the subtle shifts that he ends up uh, effecting. Thomas weaves a kind of tapestry, right, in which classical thought and uh, Christian thought, the Christian tradition, are, are sort of uh, uh, interwoven seamlessly. Fortin tugs on a couple of those threads um, to, see, to see what happens. Um, my talk today, my talk this afternoon at least, is, is conceived in, in, in something of that spirit. Um, what I want to see specifically is how Aristotle's understanding of friendship uh, is transformed when Thomas treats it in the context of the theological virtue of charity. Um, now, to the best of my knowledge, Fort never wrote anything about friendship, although I have it on good authority that he taught classes about it, but I still hope that uh, in what I say today, I can capture something of what I learned from him. Anyway, uh, I know that was a long intro, but I wanted to put his name on the table because he's someone who was important to me and I would love for more young Thomists to be reading his writings. So the question with which we're concerned now is the nature of friendship and its place in the order of charity. That's a theme that Aristotle and Thomas have in common, uh, although the theme of charity, the theme of friendship is one that uh, Aristotle and Thomas have in common, although the theme of charity uh, is not, right? And not to give away the kind of punchline of this talk, but the biggest difference between the two uh, uh, will lie on the fact that friendship for Thomas is in some forms subordinated to charity and then in its best form is the realization of charity, uh, which he even treats as a kind of friendship with God. Um, now maybe putting it that broadly is kind of trivial and obvious, uh, but I'm gonna talk about the two teachings in a way that I hope is helpful and brings to light some of the interesting relations between the two. Now, Aristotle treats friendship in a book of his called the Nicomachean Ethics. Um, do you guys still read the Ethics? Has everyone, has, have, you, have, have any of you not read anything in the Ethics? That's fine, good. I, I, have, a, I have a little introduction to, to it, which I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, what? Your engineers? I don't know. You're at a Thomism conference, don't you? Read <laughs> <laughs> don't, 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 don't you read the stuff besides engineering books? <laughs> um, well, anyway, someday hopefully you will. Maybe hopefully my talk today inspires you to read at least part of it, right? Um, so the Nicomachean Ethics is Aristotle's most important statement on the question of what a good human life is, right? What the human good is. Uh, Aristotle, uh, no, Thomas wrote an extensive commentary on it, uh, and he refers to it repeatedly in the Summa. I couldn't swear, I don't know actually, whether it's the, the work of Aristotle's he refers to the most, but in the section of the Summa that occupies us and that I'm most occupied with, the second part, um, it is the one that he refers to the most, right? Um, uh, uh, the Ethics also happens to be the book I wrote my dissertation on and the one that I knew I know the best. Now, according to Thomas, 
uh, and this is something that doesn't always get spotlighted, which I think is important. The ethics provides an important but partial account of the human good. As he says repeatedly in his commentary on the ethics, and he mentions this a couple of times in the Summa as well, Aristotle's theme in the ethics is the happiness that belongs to this life. Such happiness, according to Thomas, uh, is necessarily imperfect. Thomas also says that Aristotle recognizes as much, right? That the ethics provides a very robust and very accurate account of the human good, uh, but one that is incomplete. Uh, in my judgment, Thomas must regard the ethics, the Nicomachean ethics, as the best and most complete work on the human good in this world that has been written, right? I mean, maybe he would say, he, I don't know, Thomas doesn't usually talk this way. Maybe he would say his own work superseded it somehow because it added context, uh, uh, but at least the goods of this world as they are in this world, I think he would say that the, the ethics is the best um, uh, uh, source on, right? Uh, uh, but that difference is important, right? And it's going to give a different shade to the way that difference that it doesn't speak about ultimate happiness is important. And it's going to give a different cast to the way that Thomas speaks about Aristotle's work. Um, so let me just say a few words about what the ethics is. Um, so again, book about the human good. Uh, it's bookended, right? The beginning and the ending are both treatments of the question of happiness, what happiness is for a human being. Um, Aristotle says everyone wants to be happy. Everyone recognizes happiness as something choice-worthy in itself. But the question then is in what happiness consists. Um, he begins by laying out various conditions of what it means to be happy, right? Um, and in the last book, when he comes back to the question of happiness, uh, he suggests that contemplation, the life of the mind, right, is the best and most complete kind of happiness that's available to human beings, at least in this world, and I think for Aristotle, uh, would be the best kind that's available simply. In fact, uh, those of you who know Aristotle's metaphysics, right, will know that Aristotle says of his God, right, uh, the prime mover, um, that that God is thought thinking itself, right? So contemplation is such a perfect activity that he would attribute it to his God as the only activity that, that he engages in. In between these bookends on the question of happiness, uh, there are two, two, there are a lot of little things, but there are two major kind of achievements in the book. Um, the first is Aristotle's discussion of virtue. For Aristotle, virtue itself, the practice of virtue, is the core and peak of the good life. People are happy above all through living virtuously. And if they need a few other things in addition, right, never just because in order to be virtuous, you need a certain amount of equipment, as he puts it. You need to, uh, uh, you can't be being, and, and you couldn't, uh, yeah, you need a certain amount of equipment to be virtuous. Nevertheless, the core of the good life um, is virtue, right, and living virtuously. The second big achievement of the book, uh, and the one that I'm going to focus on, is the topic of friendship, right? Gets a remarkably extensive discussion, uh, one that's both illuminating and in some other ways puzzling. Um, what I want to do first in this talk, before we come back to Thomas, is just trace out some of the main contours of Aristotle's discussion of friendship. I'm going to do it very briefly. It's pretty long, um, and I'm going to give you a, a very quick synopsis that points uh, uh, 
that, that, that focuses on a couple of important uh, uh, questions, and then I'm going to try to talk about how that human phenomenon appears differently from Thomas's point of view when he speaks about it in the Summa. Um, so before I get into the meat of the discussion, let me just say a word about the phenomenon that Aristotle has in mind when he talks about friendship. Um, he includes a lot of different things under this heading, right? So some of the relationships we were speaking about this morning between uh, uh, family members, right, would count as forms of friendship, relations between fellow citizens are a kind of friendship, relations between kings and subjects even are a kind of friendship. Um, he also mentions in passing uh, erotic or romantic relationships as, as forms of friendship. But none of those, for him, at least the way he talks about it, are what he is what he primarily has in mind. Uh, even erotic love for him is a very subordinate kind of friendship. Um, what he's thinking about, uh, most of all, is the kind of friendship that exists between individuals who are equal to each other uh, and who are partners of a sort, um, and especially those, as I'm going to say in a minute, who, appreciates, who appreciate one another's virtue. Um, though he treats other kinds of relationship under this heading, the real thing he has in mind and the real thing, the, the way that the conference was presented, uh, I thought it was important to focus on friends as friends, right? Uh, uh, not, not just uh, uh, insofar as you can kind of sort of talk about political relationships as friendships or family relationships as, 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 as friendships, but friends um, as friends, right? As, as our partners and our equals and the people in whom we are invested precisely as friends. Uh, C.S. Lewis, when he's writing about this and his four loves, helpfully calls this uh, the least biological form of human friend, form of human relation, right? Um, uh, it's different from this morning's discussion in that way, right? The family, for Thomas especially, is so rooted in a kind of biological necessity for Aristotle, right? And I think for Thomas too, this kind of friendship isn't particularly rooted in biology, right? It's something that's chosen and something that develops when people come to know each other, right? Um, and that kind of friendship, strikingly for Aristotle, rather than those other ones, right? Even family relationships, turns out to be the one that looms largest in his account of the good human life. But what is the nature of that thing? And why? does Aristotle regard it as so important? In order to get at that, um, I'm going to trace just a couple of the key lines of thought that Aristotle introduces the last part of the Ethics. So when he comes to the question of friendship, Aristotle's opening question is, as I would somewhat cheekily put it, uh, what are friends for, right? Um, let me read the way that he puts it, okay? Friendship he says, is a certain virtue or is accompanied by virtue. Uh, we can talk about this later. And Professor Osborne, who I lost, uh, is around here somewhere. Oh, there we are. Uh, you, you mentioned this morning, this was, yeah, I'm, I'm not mixing you and Father Ephraim up, right? That uh, thinking about friendship as a virtue, right, is, is a kind of question. Why would one, that was you, Father Ephraim? Right. Sorry, no, I, I, <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, 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 yeah, what, what it means to talk about friendship as a virtue. Aristotle drops that in here as a kind of puzzle. Is friendship a virtue or is it just something that follows from virtue? 
Uh, that question I'm not going to follow up, but we can take it up in the in the discussion if you want. Um, so friendship, he says, is a certain virtue or is accompanied by virtue. And further, this is the thing I want to spotlight, it is most necessary with a view to life. For without friends, no one would choose to live even if he possessed all the other goods. So in the context of the ethics, this raises a certain question. Friendship is such a necessary good that one would not even choose to live if one did not have it. Uh, the full impact of that remark is stronger if one knows that in the first part of the book, Aristotle spoke about virtue as, to such a great extent, the core and peak of a good human life, something that might even seem to be sufficient to make one happy if one had it, something that might even make one perfectly happy, um, even if one had nothing else. But now, in what I would say is a very kind of human moment, this is one of the things I love about Aristotle, right? He's got this great, uh, I don't know if humanity is the right word, I always bless you. Uh, I always use this word humanity for it, right? It's not really the right word, and it's, it's kind of a, 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 a anachronistic to use that, that word humanity, but just a deep appreciation of human nature and human beings as they are, right? Um, uh, 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 so he, he, in this moment, he, he sort of indicates that virtue by itself couldn't make us happy. We all need friends also, right? And we need friends so badly that even if we were great and had everything else, he says, we wouldn't choose to live if we lacked them. The question that obviously prompts is, why? What makes friendship such a necessary part of a good human life that one would not even choose to live without it? Um, so to come to try to answer that question, we need first to take a few steps toward defining friendship, and especially defining friendship in the truest sense, or the most complete sense, as Aristotle puts it. Um, he begins his discussion by speaking about the reasons that human beings love things. I think this is a pretty famous, uh, uh, I think this is a pretty famous discussion. Uh, the Greek word, uh, uh, this, it's clearer in Greek how tightly related love and friendship are, although I think it's clear enough in, in English to anyone who reflects on it. Uh, but the word for friend, philos, and the word for friendship, philia, are cognate with the word for to love, right? So a friend is more a, a loved one would be a, would be a pretty good translation of what a friend is. But why do we love? Why do human beings love anything at all? Well, Aristotle outlines three reasons, three basic things that human beings love. They love the useful, they love the pleasant, and they love the good. The useful is what you employ for the sake of getting something else in addition. Money, I think, would be the classic example of a useful thing. A healthy soul, it's not every soul, but a healthy soul loves money not because it's good in itself, but because of what it makes possible. Second is the pleasant, right? Um, the pleasant is, uh, you know, that, that's a somewhat broader category. I think pleasure, I think you guys probably know what pleasure is without my explaining it. Um, but you can think of things like uh, good music or the, or the taste of food or um, alcohol or any of those uh, 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 things that are just simply and irreducibly enjoyable. But finally, there's that last thing, right? The good. Thomas, Aristotle says that that's something that's not quite the same as just the pleasant, right? 
but there's something that we can appreciate as good in itself, and in recognizing that, we can come to love it. Aristotle then goes on to explain that there are different forms of friendship corresponding to these different matters of loving, because we don't love everything. Uh, we, we, we can't be friends with everything we love. Aristotle's, uh, 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 I, I like this example. Aristotle says, um, uh, you, you can love wine, but you can't be friends with wine, right? Like you can't, you can't, what that's going to mean is you can't want it's good for its sake, right? Um, uh, 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 but it's not friendship. You can, you can, you can be, yeah, you can, you can love it, but you can't have a friendship with it. So three different kinds of friendship, he says, correspond to these three kinds of loving. First is the useful. For that, you can think primarily of business partners and things like that, right? Um, the second is uh, the one based on pleasure. That, for Aristotle, is a little more like real friendship because that's what consists in enjoying one another's company, right? Just like just liking to, 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 to be around one another. Um, but then there's this third kind of friendship, which for him is the most important and has the potential to be the most complete. And that's the friendship based on goodness, based on mutual appreciation of one's own excellence, right? Um, and for him, that's going to be the most important and complete kind of friendship. Now, to that condition that two people need to be good to be friends in the truest way, we have to add a couple of things, right? Um, because simply being good does not yet, sim two people simply being good does not yet make them friends. First, um, they need, there are three things I'm going to point out here. First, uh, they need to be aware of one another, right? So two people who are perfectly good, who never come into contact, you would say are never friends, right? There's, there's someone in Bulgaria or someone you've never met, however great you may both be, you're not friends. Um, the second, right, and this one is maybe a little less flattering to, to, to what we might like to think of ourselves in our nature. Um, you also have to like one another, which means you need to take pleasure in one another's company. Um, it might be nice to think that we all liked everyone. It would be, in fact, very nice if we liked everyone whom we thought we could admire, right? Everyone who had good qualities we simply liked. Human life, I regret to inform you, is not quite that simple. Um, and I even know a few people who, I, who, are, who are impressive in every important respect, and I, I can't stand them. Um, and, 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 and that, that is a, a, an, an ineradicable ineradicable object to friendship. Maybe some of you know someone who is, who, who despite or even because of their, their many excellences you, you don't like very much. Um, but then there's the capstone in a way, right? You could say this follows from the other things, but it's, it, it's important in understanding the essence of friendship. And this in some ways is the very most important thing, right? Um, friendship requires good will, right? And it requires that you will the good of the other one in a particular way, okay? You don't want the good for your friend merely because it serves one of your needs, right? You don't want the good for them because they're your business partner and you recognize that their success in business will be your success. You don't even want their good because you find them pleasant, right? And you either, they make you happier when they're, when they're in a better mood or something like that. 
it means friendship in the truest sense, means having goodwill towards someone else for their own sake. That is, you take the good of that other person as an end in itself. It's with this understanding in mind that Aristotle gives what I think is his most beautiful statement of what a friend is. Uh, he calls a friend another self, right? Um, uh, uh, um, their good somehow becomes our good. When Thomas brings up that image in the Summa, right, um, he has something that I think is a very nice way of articulating what it means to have another self. He calls it a form of, actually didn't like, at first when I heard this, it sounded pretentious to me, but now, now it makes more sense. Uh, he calls having someone, that kind of friendship, a sort of mutual indwelling, right? Um, let me read the way he puts this, right, rather than just saying it. So this is from uh, the Prima Secundi, um, uh, question 28, article one. Thomas writes, for when we love a thing, by desiring it, we apprehend it as belonging to our well-being. In like manner, when a man loves another with the love of friendship, he wills good to him just as he wills good to himself. Wherefore, he apprehends him as his other self, insofar to wit as he wills good to him as to himself. Hence, a friend is called a man's other self, quoting Aristotle there, and Augustine says, well did one say to his friend, thou half of my soul. This is when he's distinguishing the love of friendship from the love of concupiscence, right? It's, it's, it's in that context. Um, okay, so let me just unpack that a little because I think Thomas is, yeah, you, you just need to, to go carefully through it. Um, so he quotes that famous line about a friend, that they're another self. To see that means to see in that friend something irreducibly good for you. Their benefit is your benefit simply because it is, right? There's, there's no, in a way, there's no space between you anymore, right? There's no, there's no thought that their good is, is separate from yours. Instead, you, you take satisfaction in their good simply and irreducibly. But if that's what a friend is, one could reasonably ask, why does one need a friend after all? To put it sort of coarsely, right? You already have a self, right? Why do you need another self? What do you what do you, what do you do with that? Why is that something so important to you that if you didn't have it, you wouldn't even want to live? Now, Aristotle's discussion of this is rich and it's varied, um, and he runs through a lot of the things that friendship provides for us. Maybe it's worth mentioning a couple, um, just lest we lose sight of the uh, uh, the ordinary things that have to do with friendship. Um, uh, friends can help inspire us to be better, right? They can, uh, this this was you, Father Ephraim, fraternal correction, right? Um, uh, as, as the most pleasant of the, uh, <laughs> the duties of charity um, that combines so well concern for another's well-being with a spirit of, you know, vengeance. But, um, <laughs> uh, 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 but, um, your friends can correct you and, and improve you somehow. They can, if you're doing something wrong, they can help fix it. If you fall into dire straits or needs, right? If you, if, if you, uh, if, if something bad happens to you, um, they can come to your aid. Uh, they can provide for us an occasion to do fine actions, right? In a way that give you someone, 
this is it's, it's, this seemed weird to me when I first read it, but it makes a lot of sense to me now. Friends give you someone to do favors for, right? And it's really like one of the most one of the more pleasing things in a good life is to benefit your your friends, right? All of that's right. All of that's important, right? All of that's true about virtuous people. Um, but none, it seems to me, quite gets to the crux of what makes friends so profoundly necessary, right? That Aristotle would say something like, you wouldn't even choose to live without them, right? And so after explaining all of these claims, right? After explaining all of these things about benefits, excuse me, that friends provide, Aristotle comes back and has a couple of remarkable statements about what it is in our nature that makes us want friends, that makes us need friends even. Um, I'm going to highlight just a couple of lines here. These are, if you have your ethics, none of you have your ethics, it's fine. Uh, uh, it's book nine, chapter nine. Uh, first, Aristotle speaks about something in human nature, something almost irreducible that longs for friends. As he puts it, I'll just read this. This is short. No one would choose to have the good things all by himself since a human being is a political animal and is disposed by nature to live with others. So step one is just there's something in our nature that's not happy alone, right? That's not happy by ourselves. He explains, I would say this is probably actually not a different point, but he explains the same point, I think, more beautifully in what I take to be the culminating statement on friendship. And I'm just going to read this out. This is a few lines, and I'll read it slowly. Moreover, he says, perceiving that one's, one's, uh, um, that one's life, perceiving that one's life belongs to the pleasant things, perceiving that your life is pleasant, for life is by nature a good thing. And to perceive the good present in oneself is pleasant, right? So to see yourself as good is something that you enjoy, he says. And perceiving that living is a choice-worthy thing, especially to those who are good, because existing is good for them and pleasant, for in simultaneously perceiving what is good in itself, they feel pleasure. And if as the serious man stands in relation to himself, so he stands in relation to a friend, for a friend is another self, then just as one's own existence is choice-worthy, so also is the existence of a friend or nearly so. I'm going to say something about those last three words in a second, right? Um, but I know Aristotle's prose is, is tangled. I actually probably should have given you a handout for this. So let me just outline that quickly. Aristotle says that if you are some perceiving our own existence, if we're good people, right? So it's precisely, the puzzle is precisely why it is for the best people that it's so important for even them to have friends, right? Uh, perceiving your own existence is good for Aristotle. Living is something good if you're a good person, right? Um, that makes perceiving your friends good, seeing your friend continue to exist and do well, something which is also satisfying to us, right? Um, you get a pleasure, right? A, a satisfaction from the success and flourishing of your friend that's as deep as the satisfaction you get from your own good, or nearly so. So two observations about this, okay? Um, number one, right? Uh, the way Aristotle puts this, right, includes that funny little qualification at the end. Our friend's good is as good, uh, as good to us as our own good, 
or nearly so, right? He concedes, in effect, that we do love ourselves most of all, right? Friendship is at best something second best, right? Friendship is at best something that's, that's I mean, it's, it's great and it's, it's, it's close, nearly so, right? Nearly so means it's close, but it also means that our ultimate concern is above all for ourselves. And I'll say a little about that in Thomas later, right? The second thing, and I hope this is clearly put, um, I, had, I struggled to write this, this section. Um, when Aristotle speaks about why we need friends so much, the limitations on our worldly lives loom especially large, I think, right? Um, our lives in this world are finite, right? In Aristotle, it's not clear one way or another whether there's something there after us, whether there's something after death waiting for us, right? You can, there's, there are long arguments about that, um, uh, uh, and I am of the position that he probably doesn't think there, 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 there's anything there, right? Um, although, there, again, arguments, I'm happy to have them. Um, uh, so the awareness of a need for a friend has something to do with our awareness of our own mortality, right? Um, there's a kind of compensation, right? Compensation is too strong a word, uh, but there's a there, there's a a way in which being invested in the good of our friends, right? Seeing them flourish, seeing them as other selves, lets us get beyond the the measure of our life as an individual, right? And I think that this idea of friendship for him takes on heightened mm -hmm. significance, especially in light of that fact. Um, okay. I'm happy to talk more about Aristotle in the question section. Um, but now I want to turn to the second part, uh, which is Thomas, right? Um, and how Thomas treats this phenomenon of friendship. Now, as I guess I've said already, um, in his commentary on the ethics, Thomas basically follows Aristotle's treatment of friendship. Uh, uh, he kind of traces it, and he, he, he doesn't dissent radically from it at any point, any obvious point. Uh, he clearly regards it as uh, friendship, that is, as a genuine and important, very important human good. Uh, strikingly, though, at least strikingly to me, uh, his account of friendship in the narrow sense, that is, friends as individuals whose own goods we appreciate doesn't play such a great role in his account of the virtue of charity. This is one of the things I ran up against while I was preparing, right? I was looking for a long treatment of friendship, and there are some moments where he talks about it, to be sure, right? It's not, that, it's not that it doesn't have a place in the order of charity, but it doesn't loom as large as family life, I think, right? It doesn't have the same set of, that doesn't carry the same weight, right? Um, he mentions it, I would say, it comes up clearly only in a couple of clear instances, at least only a couple that are clear to me. Um, first, in the general way, when he says that we have special obligations to those closely united to us, that must include our friends. Um, and then second, uh, he notes at a certain point that the friendship based on goodness, right, which would at least tend to have something in common, not always maybe, but often would have something in common with this, this kind of uh, individual, the, the, the C.S. Lewis shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder kind of friendship, right? In the best case, that's a friendship of goodness. Um, he says that that's something that's, this is a, a Secunda Secundi 26, Article 8, reply to the first objection. Um, he says that uh, friendship based on 
goodness is more by choice than the bond based on blood. And so it can be given a kind of precedence in matters relating to action, right? Um, but he says that in the context of explaining that the duties to our family are particularly weighty, especially when it comes to care, right? Physical care and providing for them. Um, and the duties to our friends are, are more flexible, I would say, than our duties to our family, right? Um, none of this is to deny that friendship holds a special place for Thomas. It does, right? Um, but it seems to me that it, it is somewhat diminished relative to where it stands in Aristotle's account, right? It's not the one, it's not one of the two peaks when you're talking about the human good. It's a piece of something bigger, right? Um, now, I suppose I promised, I suppose I said at the beginning that I was gonna, gonna emphasize the, the difference, the differences, the tensions between the two. Um, I would say the most massive, right, the one that, that looms, looms, looms Lord, the general one, um, is the recognition of charity as a virtue at all in, in, in Thomas, right? Uh, Thomas describes charity itself as a kind of friendship, the best and most perfect kind of friendship. Uh, so the final and highest end of human life also consists in a sort of friendship even though it's a friendship that has no place in Aristotle's account. That kind of friendship is a mutual, loving goodwill that can come to exist between a human being and God, and it's the most perfect and highest form of happiness that's available, right? So with that general thought in mind, let me lay out four specific, four more specific differences that I see, or I think are important, uh, between the two accounts. Um, so this is, and this is gonna be my kind of culminating thing, but just, just four things to reflect on. Uh, number one, okay? for Thomas, unlike for Aristotle, we have a strong duty to human beings as such, even to our enemies. Aristotle doesn't talk about a duty to our enemy, right? That's a consequence, as I mentioned this morning, of the fact that God's image is present in all human beings, uh, that they all have at least the potential to obtain happiness through God. That means that we have duties to everyone, right? That doesn't eradicate friendship, right? Doesn't eradicate friendship in the ordinary sense of the term, but in a way it extends it and supplements it with something else that's, yeah, uh, 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 more important. Aristotle doesn't have this sense of duties toward human beings as such. Second, Thomas takes a somewhat different position than Aristotle does on the question of whether friends are necessary in order to be happy. When he treats the question of human happiness, he agrees that friends are necessary to be happy, but only in this life. Uh, this is Prima Secundi, question three, article eight, if you, if you wanna check it, right? Um, in the state of glory, friends are not needed for happiness other than the friend who is God himself because God is a sufficient and satisfying good. Third, there's an interesting implication uh, that has to do with the issue of self-love. Okay? Aristotle, I've suggested, and I think this is right on the basis of his writings, thinks that we always 
ultimately love ourselves the most. It's not that we don't love other people, we do, right? He's not some Hobbesian or something like that where we're all secretly chasing our own good in narrow ways. But in the end, the deepest concern for human beings is their own good, right? Their, their, own, their, own, their own thing. For Thomas, that's not quite the case in the same way. To be sure, he accepts Aristotle's premise that we love ourselves more than other human beings, except maybe, as I learned this morning, Mary. Um, uh, uh, which, uh, that's not Thomas? I never saw that in Thomas. Do you think it's in Thomas? No. All right. So for Thomas, uh, I will simply say that we can, uh, I, I can take away my, my, my qualification. Uh, uh, we do love ourselves more than other human beings. Um, and we have duties to ourselves, which are prior to those that we have to any other human beings. Uh, we're bound to our own spiritual good more, to, more than to that of our neighbors. Um, and we should never, ever, he says, become wicked in order to prevent our neighbors from becoming wicked. That's, uh, uh, that's, that's, that, that line is, if you want to double check that, that's uh, 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 Secunda Secundi, question 26, article 4, right? Uh, um, uh, we, don't, we shouldn't make ourselves wicked in order to protect others from wickedness. So he agrees in a way about the natural priority of self-love and agrees that we love ourselves more than any other individual human being. But he qualifies that, and here I'm, I think I'm just repeating from this morning, um, by saying that when we see ourselves as a part of a greater whole, we are capable of loving that whole more than we love ourselves. Um, we even naturally do, right? If our nature's not, if our nature weren't fallen, we even naturally would. Uh, and we are bound to love God even more than we uh, love ourselves. Um, we understand ourselves ultimately as parts of the whole constituted by God and serve that good even ahead of our own. Fourth, and finally, last thing. Uh, I would add, there's the difference with respect to God himself, uh, who for Thomas, is at the heart of charity, who for Thomas even is charity. Deus caritas est, right? Um, according to Thomas, charity is friendship with God. Aristotle in the Ethics actually specifically excludes the possibility of friendship between a human being and a God, much less God-God, right? Uh, uh, specifically excludes that. Friendship requires a certain equality, not perfect equality. Um, uh, you can have friendships between parents and children, between teachers and students. Those aren't equal friendships, but they are real friendships. Um, but it still requires some measure of equality. And for Aristotle, um, in the case of God, the inequality would be so great as to render friendship impossible. Right? Um, more than that, I can add that Aristotle's God, which is thought thinking itself, would by its nature be incapable of loving human beings. For Thomas, and this is one of the remarkable, miraculous even things about the, 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 the God of the Christian God, the God of Abraham, right? Um, uh, uh, God is, is capable of loving us, right? It's a deeply different notion of divinity. 
than what one finds in Aristotle. Um, and it makes possible a friendship with God, right? To speak about friendship with God is something that I think Thomas, um, no, Aristotle never would have fathomed. Um, this raises, by the way, for me, I hope it's okay if I take a moment to, to talk about something I don't fully understand. I think I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning's talk. Um, uh, so there's something miraculous about God's love for us. What does the human love for God mean, right? Um, and you can, there's things you can say about it, and I, I, my understanding is Professor Osborne will be saying something about it tomorrow if I've understood the topic right. But don't, if, if I'm wrong, don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to make trouble. Um, uh, <laughs> but what does it mean to have goodwill toward God, right? What does it mean to will the good of a being who is always already perfectly good, right? Um, something I, I there are things you can say about it and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to quote the lines because I know Professor Osborne will but that's something I personally have always uh, struggled to get my head fully around anyway all of that said just just a few final words uh, it seems to me uh, that, that that situated that as it's situated within this context of the Bible right the teaching of the Bible Thomas's grasp of friendship his portrait of friendship has this subtly and importantly different flavor than Aristotle's. Friendship in the ordinary sense is maybe somewhat less important as a constituent of the best life, uh, but that's because we ultimately find our deepest fulfillment and most perfect kind of friendship in a God who's loving and generous in a way that Aristotle's could never be. Thanks.